Can I quickly mention something that's got nothing to do with anything? Of course. I lit a candle, a cherry blossom candle, and I found myself writing poetry earlier for no reason. <laughs> what? The... I don't know what it was. What about? Just, just po- like romantic shit. You know, if I was to write romantic things to a lover, essentially, I would. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> Cheesy as fuck stuff. <laughs> Are you sure that your cherry-scented candle wasn't actually a love potion? Probably it is, because I'm feeling a whole bunch of things for everybody. You're like, wow, love is in the air. (laughs) I shall write romantic poetry. Meanwhile, I'm over here, like, typing about death and despair. (laughs) There's something romantic about death, you know? There is something romantic about death. Mm -hmm. That's why I like writing about death. It's wonderful. That's also why I like researching about death, sir. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love my topic today, also, sir. (laughs) I will not. I will not stop you from talking about your topic. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, technical difficulties beyond our control are delaying our presentation. And now, good morning to everyone in my night audience. Station operates on a frequency of one thousand four hundred six kilohertz. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So today, Thomas, a. Very, very common last name. I'm jumping on the Victorian Gothic bandwagon. It's a bandwagon? (laughs) It is, because, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, all the goths of this day and age, they kind of take their inspiration from Victorian Gothic. true. So, it's a bandwagon, in Mm -hmm. a way. It's an aesthetic. And... I know, like, although I'm slightly late, and we probably should have done this whole thing on Halloween, so sad, tear, 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 <laughs> um, but it doesn't matter, because the macabre is timeless. You can just tell people we recorded before Halloween. No, that's hey, cheating. Hey, everybody, we recorded this on October 29th. We talked about, no, on the 31st, <laughs> well, Yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so listen, it doesn't matter. Even if we didn't record it on the 31st, Macabre is timeless. The, wow, I said that really weird. <laughs> the Macabre is timeless. So dramatic. Exactly. And so, like, when I, you know when I was researching lace making? Mm-hmm. That's kind of when I stumbled on a whole bunch of really cool things about the Victorian mm-hmm. era. And it, like, tickled my fancy. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to look that up. And also, you know, inspired by the Adams family. Um, but, like... I saw things for like which theories for why this era was so spooky and why there was such an emphasis. Emphasis. Whoa! I really can't speak today. <laughs> okay, let me start over that sentence. So, I found theories for why this era was so spooky and why there was such an emphasis on death rituals and right. just you know death itself in general. Um, so there's a lot of theories for this phenomenon but today i'll be going over just a few and then it'll be story time i gotta say the only thing i know about victorian macabre is Mm -hmm. the photographs the death portraits yeah i'm talking about that but there's so much more i'm sure there's a lot of creepy stuff i know but like but no, no no but like why do you know why this was a thing do you have an idea of why? I, I assume it was just, uh, like, just that's when, like you were saying, like, the art and the poetry and r- books came out about this. But mm. why did they come out? That's, that's the real question. Yeah. Aha. The chicken or the yeah. egg. So, actually, the whole 
I'm gonna say aesthetic even though it's not really legitimate to say aesthetic but like the whole gothic ambiance existed before the full gothic writers and poets started Mm -hmm. writing like for example Edgar Allan Poe he only started writing after um like the gothic elements started really taking hold even mary shelley with frankenstein like she was starting to come in with like the romantic period writings but it was also because of like anyways you'll see we're gonna get there are you ready all righty so to give you a bit of background of like what i'm gonna be talking about to place you in the victorian gothic i want you to think about a, a woman okay a woman with a big black lace dress, black veils in front of her face because she's a mourning widow. She has frames of locks of her dead loved one's hair on her walls, twisted into flowers and ornaments and paisleys. She also has death portraits, which, you know, like we were saying, pictures (laughs) where you take a picture with your dead loved one. She has those on her walls as well. And she keeps them as a memento in her soul. There are also tales of ravens, murders, and mysterious, seemingly paranormal happenings. But why all of this spookiness, you may ask, sir? May I remind you, you're not actually wearing a black cloak, so you don't have to pretend you are. <laughs> but it's so much fun. I am wearing a black cloak in my imagination. You have like, the finger, you have the finger wrinkling on. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Always, dude. This is like the way to go. All right. Yeah. So reason number one for all this spookiness. Now we get into the historical tidbits because you know, this is a historical podcast, so you must absolutely have some history in it. So, what period was during the Victorian era? So, we had, you know, Victorian England, but what was happening that was really big and really intense? Uh, does it rhyme with minmustrial memorolution? Yes, it does. <laughs> so, the Industrial Revolution. Due to the industrialization, which just happened to be going on at exactly the same time as, as Queen Victoria's reign, um, death was everywhere. And do you know why death was everywhere, good sir? No. Tell me anyways. All right. Because factories, big, big factories were in the city. And the places where the workers were living, so the workers' neighborhoods or the workers' quarters, were extremely densely populated and super poorly constructed. So you had... You know, ceilings falling down on people, floorboards are rotting, um, people are throwing their poopy water out their windows. It's essentially 1700s France, but like in the mid-1800s. So these horrible living conditions were the perfect, perfect breeding ground for diseases, especially waterborne diseases, such as dysentery, typhoid, and cholera, that got spread around when people drank in water infected Mm. with essentially fecal matter so poopy water um there were also high levels of other highly transmittable diseases such as smallpox scarlet fever measles and tuberculosis which colloquially which colloquially is at the time was called consumption so have you ever like read books where people are like alas my wife she died from consumption and you're like huh the 
what? <laughs> well, that was tuberculosis. So, oh, so mini side note. Do you know the to- story of Typhoid Mary? God, sounds familiar. I've heard it. I think I've heard it. Oh, I also, I also have some that later on. I got it later on. But keep going. I got two things to add. So let me okay, hear your okay, thing okay. first. Well, I'm not done. Part okay. of the industrialization is like a side note. Like, well, we're getting okay. places. But you probably have things that had to say oh, yes. as well. Okay, so Typhoid Mary. This I read this out of... Okay, so I was actually in the McGill Library um, in the basement, in like the guts of... <laughs> red path and i was kind of just like going through all of like the collections and i was in the section for like venereal diseases in the in victorian england and as as you do so (laughs) as you do so as you were in venereal disease right next to venereal disease was tuberculosis and typhoid and every single book on typhoid was about freaking typhoid mary so i was like who is this lady what is going on so i looked it up and oh what a story so now typhoid is a disease that causes nausea diarrhea and vomiting it's a type of salmonella so you know that stuff that everyone panics about on like raw fish and eggs um so it's a type of salmonella so it survives in food and water and gets transmitted when someone eats or drinks infected food or water so typhoid mary Her actual name is Mary Mallon, and this whole thing happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and it actually extended up until the um, mid-1930s. All of this happened in New York, so she got typhoid, but had absolutely no symptoms, like zero. So she was an asymptomatic carrier of the disease, which meant she could spread it around without even realizing she had it, okay? So to make things worse, Mary worked in the kitchens of wealthy New York estates. Remember what I said about how typhoid gets transmitted through poopy food and water? Well, typhoid Mary, she would go to the bathroom, you know, do her business, not wash her hands properly, come back into the kitchen, start cooking food, and now all of her typhoidy bacteria on her hands are getting into the food, and then people are eating her food and getting typhoid disease. So everywhere she worked, there was always an outbreak. And she was the only one or like one of the few who wouldn't get the disease. So in her first, um, the first estate that had a huge outbreak, um, she actually kept working there for a while up until the employer's daughter died. And um, then the guy was like, okay, no, this is fucking stupid. Like, we need to figure out where this is coming from because my daughter is dead. I am in mourning. I am... I'm triced. I'm very sad. And so he did the whole investigation and they found out that it was typhoid. It was was Mary Mallon who was distributing this disease. So what they did was they quarantined her for three years. Um, They sent her away to this like hospital that quarantines typhoid patients. And yeah, she stayed there for three years. Then the people in the hospital were like, after three years, they were like, okay, we'll let you go. But as long as you promise that you will never, ever, ever work again in a kitchen because you can easily transmit your disease that way. So she said, okay, I promise. So she goes back into the workforce and she's not working in kitchens because she promised she wouldn't, but she's working as a laundress. So like a lady who does laundry, but as she was doing like being a laundress, she wasn't making as much money and she also got injured. Like she got a huge wound on her arm that started getting really infected and she couldn't work in laundry anymore. So she was like, Mm, 
to the kitchens. So what she does is she changes her name, okay? She, like, changes her name to something completely different. I don't actually remember what her name was. Sorry, that's, like, a memory gap on my part. But, like, she changes. She, yeah, she changes her name. And, um... And she starts working in kitchens again. And once again, every single place that she works, there are outbreaks, okay? And every time there's an outbreak, because they know that Mary has been released, the police are coming and trying to, like, find her. But every single time that they get to the place where she was, where there was an outbreak, she had already left and, like, changed her name again. And, like, she leaves and changes her name and goes works elsewhere. And then finally, at one point, the police found her and they arrested her. And then they essentially, they isolated her, but it was, like, basically they were putting her in exile in a cottage where she would, like, wash beakers for pathologists. And she was there until she died, and then she had a stroke, and that was that was the end of her days. But, yeah, that's Typhoid Mary. <laughs> it's, it's, what a... W- <laughs> right? Like, what a freaking... So- and, like, to consider that, like, there are books written about her. That's how yeah. notorious this lady is. Is it true? Is there proof of this? It is. Okay. It is true. There's even pictures of her, yeah. like... There, this is a documented case, like a police case, because she just, mm. yeah, it, it is true. Mm. Yeah. You could even look her up. You could see like pictures of this lady and be like, you, <laughs> you were the cause of so many deaths because you didn't wash your hands properly. That's your, that's your life legacy, giving people right. typhoid. Typhoid. To the point that her name is Typhoid Mary. And I'm pretty sure that the, the term Typhoid Mary was then colloquially used for, like, anybody who had typhoid mm-hmm. and was a carrier. And they're like, oh, Typhoid Mary. <laughs> yeah. It's special It makes me wonder who the original Tom was in Talking Tom. Talking Tom? Yeah, don't be a Talking Tom, you know? Uh, Who's the original I Tom? I mean, who was the original Tom? It might just be, like... Because Tom is a very common name. And John. Tom and John. I was about to say, what about Jay Walker? Who was Jay? But actually, I know who that that one. That's way off topic. What? Jay. Oh my god, wait. Hold on a second. Tell me this because Jay I'm actually Walker? really curious. A Jay yeah. was an insult back in the day. You're okay. a Jay. It means you're an idiot. You're, you're stupid. Oh my god. And a Jay Walker. It's to stop people. It's walker. to stop people from walking. Because back then, cars were brand new. So people were walking mm. in front of cars, behind cars. There was no, no such thing as a street. Oh, my God. To, to, right. to get, stop people from crossing the street, they would call them Jays. Idiots. <laughs> hey, Jay. you Jay. Jay, you know? Jay. It's a Jay Walker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. The more you know. So, thank you. that thing I wanted to say earlier uh, about yes. cholera and fun stuff. Did you know the River Thames, the river that flows through London was declared mm-hmm. legally dead by the government because it was what? it was so infected and so disgust if you fell in you you die essentially you don't <laughs> it was like yeah. it was so contaminated the river was declared legally dead jeez louise all the way up until i think the 50s where it made a miraculous recovery and now it's safe to swim in not really, but it's yeah. not, I wouldn't. But it, it's really interesting <laughs> yeah. is they drain the Thames every one couple of months. And at the bottom, you can find diamond rings and stuff from 
old ladies who accidentally dropped it in, in the water in the 1910s, you know, bicycles from 100 wow. years. It's Yeah, they drain it, and there's so much garbage in it from 100, uh, 100 200 years just collected at the bottom. That's an archaeologist oh, dream. Oh, yes, essentially. Wow. Just going through people's garbage, mm. being like, ooh, look at mm. this. There was... Oh, I would love that. Another thing I wanted to mention was uh, you were talking about Victorian households. What mm. was... What was the most dangerous thing in a Victorian household? Tell me. Stairs. What? Stairs killed more people in a Victorian household than anything else. Because they'd collapse? Because people don't know how to take the stairs? Well, not only that. Yeah, basically that, plus their dresses as well. They would walk on the stairs with their dresses. Oh, shit, it's the true. stairs. Have you ever, you've never been in a Victorian home before. I, They're no. steep. They are thin. Because because they're thin houses, so they got to make right. the stairs thin, and they are steep, and they go straight up, and they're curved, and it's it's a nightmare climbing up and down those stairs. Ooh, and imagine with dresses, like mm-hmm. already it's difficult going up the stairs with long mm-hmm. dresses. Imagine steep stairs with long dresses. I get mm-hmm. it. Women just like trip over, bash their head against the stairs, and buy out cold. There was an amazing documentary I watched on that. It's basically the Victorian household, how it evolved from then to now. And the kind of technologies mm-hmm. that came and went, like like light bulbs and stuff. Light mm-hmm. bulbs, if you touched it, you would die because the electric socket was exposed. So it was very common for kids to walk up and touch it and just <laughs> dead. <laughs> there yeah. you go. That yeah. That's, <laughs> so that goes back to what you're imagine. saying about so many deaths. Yes. Oh yes. It's like technologies as well. Mm-hmm. When you have technologies that aren't well developed but they're widely spread. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some deaths. I mean, look at that. Light bulbs. Absolutely no no care for security. Not understand. I'd say... They're, yet they're still being I'd say sold. an ignorance. I wouldn't say a lack of care. Mm-hmm. I would, I'd say a lack well, of understanding. Exactly. But I mean, lack of understanding that wouldn't pass mm-hmm. in these days. You know what I mean? Like, all new technologies are used with much care. Whereas back then it was just like, whoa, look how much stuff we're inventing. Spread it, spread it, spread it, spread it, spread it. I gotta send you this documentary because you could do a whole topic on it. Another one was green. There was a certain color of green that was extremely popular. (gasps) You were telling me this. And the the green would Mm -hmm. paint the walls with it and it would kill people. And they would make dresses Mm -hmm. out of it and it would kill them. But there was a shade of yellow as well, I believe, that did pretty much the Mm -hmm. same thing. And it was like arsenic based. And so the the walls were painted and wallpaper was dyed with this arsenic-based dye. Mm. And then people would go absolutely insane. Yeah. Oh, man. See, like, I have... Okay, hold on a second. Where's my book? <laughs> this book... This book, The Royal Art of Poison, <laughs> I need to read the entire thing and just do an entire special episode on just poison. Mm. Because, like, there's so much good stuff in this book, like, about everything that we're talking about right now. Like... Poison, even make like makeup. The first episode we did, my goodness, like so much cool stuff. Anyways, for another, for another day. day. So okay, 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 okay. So okay, where was I? Okay, okay. So disease in workers' neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? So because of all this disease um, and dangerous jobs, the factory workers would be doing. The average life expense expectancy for men was forty years, and forty-two years for women. 
and the mortality rate for children under the age of five was 33%. So that's like one in three kids died before the age of five because of disease, poor nutrition, heavy pollution, um, accidents like touching a light bulb, for example. Um, And like after the age of five, it was mostly work accidents. Did you know they wouldn't name their kids? Unfortunately, that got out. Yeah, because the age of six. they would just yeah. die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Death is everywhere yeah. in the Victorian age. Okay, so just to give you an idea of what jobs kids were doing, and I know you know what kind of jobs kids are doing, but to go over it anyways, mm-hmm. um, kids who were five to nine years old would be given just about any job that was in tight spaces. So chimney sweeps, and oh my gosh, I saw the cutest <laughs> picture of a kid chimney sweeper he was literally probably the size of like like probably couldn't even see over a kitchen table and he had his little like cap and his chimney suit and he was covered in coal and i was like oh this is adorable but so awful because he probably died he wasn't but they smoked and it's like oh my god anyways why it's their little hands that was their biggest they can get into small mm -hmm. places it was also common for the machines Mm -hmm. to rip their hands off but Oh, ah, yes, easy that's what I was going to say. Like, basically, like, the kids would be sent in to clean, especially in the textile industry, kids would be sent in to clean um, and unjam the looms. And when looms are jammed, oftentimes they move either really slowly or they stop moving altogether, depending on how jammed the loom is. And so imagine a little kid goes in there to unjam the loom unjams it and the moment they unjam it the loom starts spinning at full speed again (laughs) like oof because oftentimes like they wouldn't even turn off the machines to fix them because that would lose time Mm. because it took a certain amount of time to start up the machine and they wanted to be as productive as possible so stopping the machine for repairs was like a huge waste of productivity so little kids would just buy their hands ripped off into the machine and you know that was that (laughs) So gruesome. Yeah. I know, I know. So now we can understand death was all around them. Death was everywhere, especially with the working class. There's also the... People are diseased. Also the workhouses. Got those as well. Yeah, yeah. The workhouses. But the workhouses were also a special case because people in workhouses were very isolated in the workhouses. So there was a lot of death happening yeah. in them. Um but, I mean, it was kind of like a taboo subject for everyone outside of the workhouse. Yeah. You don't tell people you were you living know. in the workhouse. You don't. Exactly. Exactly. You don't tell people you work in. You don't tell people what you see in the workhouse. You don't tell people what you do. Nothing. Like, it's not a topic that people can want. Can you name. Because, I mean, even. Can you name one celebrity yeah. who lived in the workhouse? Oh, no, I can't. Charlie Chaplin. Charlie, Charlie Chaplin was raised in the workhouse. Yeah, yeah, his mother was insane. So they took uh, took him away. Oh man! And they could put him in a workhouse. Damn! Yeah. I didn't know. He that. was a child worker in the workhouse. And he survived yeah, with all of his parts. Congratulations to him with all of his yeah. parts. Wow. Good times. Good times. Good times. Good times. Okay. So all these people, heavily diseased, working in horrible conditions. They were also going to work while they were sick and injured. Mm -hmm. So they were walking in with like a heavily necrosed arm and they're like, hey, how's it going? You know, they'd like walk in and all was well. But 
you know, you know, you know what this made me think of as I was writing it down. I was like people walking in with like a necrose arm, just a flesh wound. Uh, anyways, so why were they going into work? Because they know they would lose their jobs if they wouldn't, because there were lineups of people outside of the factories every day waiting for jobs and waiting for someone to leave so that they could take their place. So it was very much an atmosphere of lots of stress, lots of death, lots of disease, lots of injury. So we can understand why everyone was kind of like in the deep depths of death, mm. right? I'm pretty sure everybody saw a corpse by the age of like. Did you notice? Did you time. notice black was a common color as well? If you look at the ah, 1700s, oh, wait. oh, you're gonna bring that up. Am I am I going too mm-hmm. far ahead? Yes, you oh, are. I'm sorry. Okay, so this is actually the next thing. So black in general is the color of mourning for... I was going to say there were so many funerals. They said, screw it. They just dressed up for the day ready for a funeral. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Okay, so let me explain why. This Wait, am I right? Mind. Okay. You Jeez. are... You, yes, basically. Yes and no. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on. Oh my God. So basically what happened was people... Um, like, de- black is the color you wear for funerals yeah. if you are a Christian correct um so now it just so happened that in 1861 the prince consort or in other words queen victoria's husband <laughs> albert, albert suffers a tragic demise and dies prematurely at the age of 42 as we know queen victoria was an extremely influential lady so when her husband died and she went into mourning she went into mourning okay like mourning mourning she secluded like herself she never got over it. only wore yeah no, no no she only wore black for the rest of her life and swore to a life of sadness yeah. okay now in solidarity the entire country okay also started going into mourning so they wanted to support their queen. Albert also died on the 14th of December. So Christmas that year was a no-go. <laughs> so think about it. Already you're in the depths of despair. Now the queen's husband dies and the whole country goes into mourning. Okay. Gloomy atmosphere was everywhere. The entire country was in, you know, just funeral mode. Okay. And because of Victoria's mourning, the population followed suit for their own loved ones' deaths as well. So everyone wore black, you know, everyone at the time, they all wore black to support Albert. And because they were supporting Albert and Queen Victoria, they started doing the same mourning rituals for their loved ones because Queen Victoria was such an influential lady. So essentially what you said was right. Like they would wake up in the morning and they just put on black because they're like, shit, I'm mourning anyways. And there's 10 people that died in my family today. So I just got a funeral time. Every oh, day. well, it's funeral every day. Oh, well, but the but before um, before Prince Albert died, um, this whole mourning thing wasn't such a big deal. Like, people wouldn't wear black when someone died. Even if there was huge death around them, they would just kind of go on with their days because there was so much death around them anyways. But because Queen Victoria's husband died and she kind of popularized the idea of big mourning, everybody had to mourn just like yeah. she did. Okay? So now, as the population follows suit and starts mourning, there are various rituals that come to being because everyone is just in the atmosphere of funeral time all the time. So. <coughs> oh, God. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Yes. 
Dong, dong, dong. A death. You walk into your beloved's bedchamber, and there they lie, pale as a ghost, taken by consumption. Their white nightclothes soaked with sweat and blood spots. You sit by their side and begin to weep. All the clocks are stopped at the time of the death, and the mirrors, they are covered to prevent the loved one's spirit from escaping and getting caught in the glass. A wreath is hung on the door to let everyone know that a death has occurred and that a family is in mourning. For three to four days, your beloved is left where they died, not moved nor shifted, and you watch over them day and night to ensure that they really have died and are not just in a coma. Even after three days of wake, you order a plot with a death bell, just to make sure that if you have accidentally buried your love alive, they can always ring a bell from in their grave, ding, 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 and you can get them out. Because your Aunt Elizabeth had rung the bell after being buried for ten days, you wouldn't want to trap anyone. Once the wake is over, you can finally put them to rest, but not before taking a death portrait and weaving their locks of hair into a hair flower to commemorate the moment and have them in your heart forever. You would go on to serve death biscuits wrapped in funeral notices, sealed with black wax and imprinted with a skull. Finally, after all the rituals are done, they are buried, and you enter full mourning where you remember the sadness of your lover's death fully and completely by wearing nothing but black and feeling nothing but sadness just as Queen Victoria did because now death is embodied into your being. So, you can imagine that these rituals are very time-consuming, right. to say the least. <laughs> and, I mean, imagine, every time someone died, you have to go through this entire process to kind of just mourn, yeah. and then you're wearing full, you're in full mourning for, if you're, okay, if you're a widow, you're in full mourning for two years. So that means wearing black, not going to parties, not smiling. If your picture is taken, you have to put on the saddest face of your life. Okay, and then after those two years of full mourning, you have a year of half mourning where you can wear some purple and white along with your big black dress. <laughs> okay, so all these things. Yes, tell me. Do you know why graves in the Victorian era had chain like guards around them, like fenced in? How do I explain it? They were like fenced, caged down, essentially. Um, tell me. Grave robbers. Oh. But do you know who was grave robbing? Who was grave the universities. robbing? Universities. Oh my god, to get... <gasps> Holy shit. Okay, so this is a whole... Yes. Okay, so for, scient... for, for scientific for... research. Yeah. Right, for scientific research. Okay. There was a case... So this was also... There was a case in Scotland. I gotta, I gotta mention it. There was a case okay. in Scotland. Ugh, you're drinking water and I'm really thirsty. And it's torture. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a case in Scotland where people would murder people, essentially. And then take them to the universities. And the universities, would, they knew exactly what they were doing, but they needed the bodies. So they just... So they were like, give them to me. It's fine. I'm taking yeah, I'll them take me. your corpse off you. No questions asked. Here's your money. And wow. they almost got caught because there was a really famous street beggar, a bum, who was very mm -hmm. well known for having like rotten feet. And 
And the university students looked looked at the body and they thought he looked familiar, but they couldn't tell because the doctors cut his feet off. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the ca- they were caged down, and uh-huh. mentioning your bells. Remember, you mentioned uh-huh. the bells. The reason they discovered yes. that is because grave robbers would dig up the corpses. They would open the casket to find scratch marks inside the coffin. That's how they discovered. And they were like, oh my god, they were alive. That's how they discovered people uh-huh. were down there. It's because grave robbers were taking them off. See, it was all connected. See, it was Thank all connected. You. Thank you for that connection. It makes this whole thing so much better. But I'm pretty, and like, I'm pretty sure the bells don't work. I'm 90% sure they didn't work. They actually, they they work. Because there, I have been cases, I read some cases where people rang the bell and they actually, mm-hmm. like, because there were always guards and things around the cemetery yeah. listening around for the bells to ring. And apparently sometimes they did hear bells ring and they did dig up the person. <laughs> so, like, it, it did happen and there were bells that worked. Um, but this being said, after a certain period of time where science got better and they were able to better determine whether a person was dead or not they kept the bells but they were just decorative okay they weren't actually connected into the grave but at a like for a short period of time the bell was connected into the grave and the person was actually buried with the string in their Hmm. hand um so like if ever anything happened like they could ring the bell and then it would i'm sure the first thing you think of when you wake up is oh ah ring the bell you know i i don't think they would panic and they would lose the air and then they would die Essentially. Yeah, but also if it was popularized enough and they knew, then it Maybe. would be a possibility. Maybe. You know, especially if it's buried. I mean, especially with if the string is buried in their Probably hand. Probably tie it around like, their arm. You know what that's, I mean? that's what I would do. I was, so that if they start moving. Yeah, in panic, like, then it just rings it automatically. Exactly. Exactly. So. so in the end, like, I have read a few stories where there have been people dug up by the bell. But like I said, like, after a certain point, the bell was just decorative. There was no string yeah. attached. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Here's your funeral. No strings attached. <laughs> There's no strings attached. <laughs> okay, so talking about all this scientific purpose corpse situation, put yourself in like the position of a Victorian person, okay? A religious Victorian person, and as we all know, the um, stereotype for Victorians was prudish people. Um, so imagine all of these like stereotypically prudish people who um you know were being exposed to all these scientific discoveries and now suddenly they're like oh my gosh and they're robbing my 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 loved one's graves what kind of abomination is this and you know okay tell me for example these people are very stressed they're very freaking out because of all this scientific discoveries that Mm -hmm. are happening what do people usually turn to when they're stressed or panicky or anxious? I, th- I know exactly. I was about to bring this up. What do they turn Drugs. to, Thomas? No. 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 Well, maybe that's one of the alcohol. things. Alcohol. People turn to. Well, listen. People turn to ritual, right? Oh. So whether it be drugs, how was I supposed to get religion, that? Ritual. Well, it's like well, ritual. People turn to like things they do commonly, yeah. right? So they start praying. They if they you know smoke, they smoke. If they drink, they drink. Yeah. If they do drugs, they do drugs. But it always it it's based in ritual practice, right? It's based in like what they feel comfortable mm. doing and what's going to take their mind off of things. And for a lot of Victorians what took their mind off of the absolute existential crises they were having 
because of all this scientific, you know, all these scientific um, discoveries that were being made, they turned to funeral rituals and death rituals. So the industrialization, as we know, it brought with it many scientific discoveries, right, and inventions that shook people's worldviews completely. Ever-improving medical discoveries made people question what it was that were humans were doing in life, um, and if the medical modifications and cures that were being discovered were even ethical, or if we were going against the laws of nature. So novels like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is actually one example of many reactions to the new scientific discoveries, um, because it brings up the argument of, have we gone too far? And a lot of people felt that way. They did feel like science was taking them too far, um, especially medical uh, advances. Mm -hmm. They just felt like things were moving too quickly and it just was going against nature, it was going against religion. But then Darwin came along and he had his theory of evolution, Mm -hmm. right? And there was a lot of questioning going around about religion and religious values as well. Like, if evolution is true, then is God even real? So everything everyone believed to be true was suddenly being shifted and like crumbling beneath their feet. And it was just, you know, it was all really too much. And like I said before, people, when they're stressed and they just, they, nothing feels stable anymore. It's like everything I knew was a lie. They turn to things that, you know, they're used to. But yes, tell me about your drug use, Thomas, not your drug, <laughs> My use, tra- drug use in general. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty common fact at this point that drug your your prescription back then was here to take, take a shot of heroin so i'm pretty oh, yes. sure that also played a big part in mm-hmm. when people are popping cocaine like it's oh, yeah. like it's tylenol you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but even um like there were a lot of psych psychiatry alienists mm-hmm. were starting to be a thing at the time um think freud and people of the like he's a little bit later on but people like him were starting a little bit sooner um and i mean you know in the end what would he diagnose people with hysteria and then here have some cocaine (laughs) right so hysteria maybe because of the arsenic in the wallpaper maybe because of the poison in their dyes for their dresses, maybe hysteria because everyone around them is dying and they have to wear black all the time. I mean, the Victorian era was really, it was an interesting period. It was also the height of beer. Beer Beer was extremely, I think, I think it was, I don't think it was invented, but popularized around that time. There was something big to do with beer in the Industrial Revolution because they couldn't drink water. But beer... Because mm, it was polluted? Yes. But beer was safe mm-hmm. to drink. So nobody would drink water, but everybody would drink beer. So you got that on top of it. You know, you got your... Mm-hmm. You got Johnny down the street who does the chimney sweeps, who does a bunch of cocaine and heroin, drinks nothing but beer. And three of his family members died last week. He's he's doing just fine. <laughs> he's doing great. And then he goes back to the alienist and he's like, listen, buddy. Oh, crap. He fell on the not going mind. well. <laughs> Oh my god. Threw himself into the Thames. Death by Thames. Suicide by Thames. Pretty sure that was a thing, too. Guaranteed cholera. Guaranteed cholera. Immediately just flesh-eating bacteria eat you away by dust. Can you imagine the smell, though? 
on a hot on a, on a hot day of London. Okay, I've thought about this very very intensely <laughs> on many occasions, and think about the amount of coal. Yeah amount of pollution that was in the air because they were burning coal Mm -hmm. imagine just picture that imagine how smelly that must have been and you know people are walking around like not only is there poop water all over the streets the thames is extremely polluted the air is filled with coal listen like you're just breathing in particles like your entire oh my god population was expanding exploding too everybody was moving in from the countryside and there were yeah, more horses. They were like, yeah, industrialization. No refrigeration for meats. Animals could walk around the street, do what the hell they wanted, and yep, good, good times, good times. Good times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's basically blistering hot day, though. Oh man. Mm, don't even talk <laughs> about a blistering hot day. Oof. I'm all. I'm thinking about winter time. Like the snow is probably black. Mm. I feel like I read something saying that the snow actually was black. That wouldn't surprise me because, like, obviously the snow would fall and it was yeah. white, but then once it touched the ground, like the pollution would kind of stick to the mm-hmm. snow, and then it, everything would just be black. Mmm, yum. What a time to be alive! Oh yes. Well, that's all my historical background. But now it's story time. Ooh. Are you ready? So, little background. So, authors like Edgar Allan Poe, my favorite spooky man, um, he's American, but um, he did an amazing job at discussing all the Victorian themes, such as death, grief, love, loss, uh, confusion, guilt, anxieties about the future. Um, The story that I am going to read today is called The Telltale Heart. And it's a short story that is perfect example of like Victorian anxieties and like just in general, the ideas of guilt and like, oh, so, so awesome. It's one of my favorite ones, honestly, because it really encompasses like, I don't know, just like Victorian anxiety, man. It's wonderful. And you know, like that, that like feeling you feel inside your soul when something's just off, something's just like effed up and you just can't really place your finger on it but like it slowly drives you insane Mm. same vibe so that's kind of what the story is and also actually fun fact the story is narrated by like an insane person quote unquote um and so like just you know to put you in context think about like the people down like johnny down the street who's like taking cocaine and heroin and 10 of his family members died the other day okay like keep that in mind when i'm reading it okay so you don't know this one right i don't know any ed brown poems (laughs) (laughs) okay well anyways this is this is i'm gonna storytell it in my most storytelly way dramatic are you ready yes you should add music to this in post-production by the way oh my god i should I got, I got the okay. perfect song for you, too. Okay, so. Okay. The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. It's true. Yes, I have been ill. Very ill. But why do you say that I've lost control of my mind? Why do you say that I am mad? Can you not see that I have full control of my mind? Is it not clear that I am not mad? 
Indeed, the illness only made my mind, my feelings, my senses stronger, more powerful even. My sense of hearing, especially, became more powerful. I could hear sounds I had never heard before. I heard sounds from heaven. I heard sounds from hell. Listen! Listen, and I will tell you how it happened. You will see. You will hear how healthy my mind is. It is impossible to say how the idea first entered my head. There was no reason for what I did. I did not hate the old man. I even loved him. He had never hurt me. I did not want his money. I think it was his eye. His eye was like the eye of a vulture. The eye of one of those terrible birds that watch and wait while an animal dies and then fall upon the dead body and pull it to pieces to eat it. When the old man looked at me with his vulture eye, a cold feeling went up and down my back. Even my blood became cold. And so, I finally decided I had to kill the old man and close that eye forever. So you think that I am mad? A madman cannot plan. But you should have seen me. During all of that week, I was as friendly to the old man as I could be, and warm and loving. Every night, about 12 o'clock, I slowly opened his door. And when the door was opened wide enough, I put my hand in and then my head. In my hand I held a light covered over with cloth so that no light showed, and I stood there quietly. Then, carefully, I lifted the cloth just a little so that a single thin, small light fell across that eye. For seven nights I did this, seven long nights, every night at midnight. Always the eye was closed, so it was impossible for me to do the work, for it was not the old man I felt I had to kill. It was the eye, his evil eye. And every morning I went to his room, and with a warm, friendly voice, I asked him how he had slept. He could not guess that every night, just at twelve, I looked in at him as he slept. The eighth night, I was more than usually careful as I opened the door. The hands of the clock moved more quickly than did my hand. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. The old man was lying there, not dreaming that I was at his door. Suddenly, he moved in his bed. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in his room was thick and black. I knew he could not see the opening of the door. I continued to push the door slowly, softly. I put in my head. I put in my hand with the covered light. Suddenly, the old man sat straight up in bed and cried, Who's there? I stood quite still. For a whole hour, I did not move. Nor did I hear him again lie down in his bed. He just sat there, listening. Then I heard a sound, a low cry of fear, which escaped from the old man. Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed, filled with fear. I knew that he knew I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing right there. Slowly, little by little, I lifted the cloth until a small, small light escaped from under it to fall upon, 
to fall upon that vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and my anger increased as it looked straight at me. I could not see the old man's face, only that eye, that hard blue eye, and the blood in my body became like ice. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. It was the beating of the old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, but the sound grew louder. The old man's fear must have been great indeed, and the sound grew louder. My anger became greater and more painful. But it was more than anger. In the quiet night, in the dark silence of the bedroom, my anger became fear. For the heart was beating so loudly that I was sure someone must hear the time had come. I rushed into the room crying, die, die. The old man gave a loud cry of fear as I fell upon him and held the bed covers tightly over his head. Still his heart was beating, but I smiled as I felt that success was near. For many minutes that heart continued to beat, but at last the beating stopped. The old man was dead. I took away the bed covers and held my ear over his heart. There was no sound. Yeah, he was dead. Dead as a stone. His eye would trouble me no more. So I am mad, you say? You should have seen how careful I was to put the body where no one could find it. First, I cut off the head, then the arms, and the legs. I was careful not to let a single drop of blood fall on the floor. I pulled up three of the boards that formed the floor and put the pieces of the body down there. Then I put the boards down again carefully, so carefully that no human eye could see that they had been moved. As I finished this work, I heard that someone was at the door. It was now four o'clock in the morning, but still dark. I had no fear, however, as I went down to open the door. Three men were at the door, three officers of the police. One of the neighbors had heard the old man's cry and had called the police. These three had come to ask questions and to search the house. I asked the policeman to come in. The cry, I said, was my own, in my dream. The old man, I said, was away. He had gone to visit a friend in the country. I took them through the whole house, telling them to search it all to search it well. I led them finally to the old man's bedroom. As if playing a game with them, you see, I asked them to sit down and talk for a while. My easy, quiet manner made the policemen believe my story, so they sat talking with me in a friendly way, but although I answered them in the same way, I soon wished that they would go. You see, my head hurt, and there was a strange sound in my ears. I talked more and faster, the sound became clearer, and still they sat and talked. Suddenly I knew that the sound was not in my ears, it was not just inside my head. At that moment I must have become quite white. I talked still faster and louder, and the sound too became louder. It was quick, low, soft sound like the sound of a clock heard through a wall, a sound I knew well. Louder it became and louder. Why did the men not go? Louder, louder, I stood up and walked quickly around the room. I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise to cover that terrible sound. I talked even louder, and still the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible that they could not hear? 
No, they heard I was certain of it. They knew. Now it was they who were playing a game with me. I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound. Louder, louder, louder. Suddenly, I could bear it no longer. I pointed at the boards and cried, Yes, yes, I killed him. Pull up the boards and you shall see. I killed him. But why does his heart not stop beating? Why does it not stop? And that is the Telltale Heart. No. My favorite short story of all time. Actually, this one, and if ever you want to read it, which, oh my god, amazing. Or maybe I'll read it at some point, but it's like eight pages long, so I might make that like an entire episode. <laughs> it's, um, it's called The Yellow Wallpaper. Also an awesome short story. But yeah. And that is the Victorian macabre Ooh. for this lovely, amazing week. Oh, but I had something to add. Tell me. Tell it's me, just, tell it's me, just tell to me. support your argument that Victorian macabre was a thing. Na- Go for name it. a murderer. I'm ready. Oh, Jack yeah. the Ripper. The most famous yeah. murderer of all time. He only killed four people. But yes. We all know who he is. Sort of. Oh, we yeah. all We but have also- all heard of him. We don't know who he is. But- Mm-hmm. But I think it also comes down to, like, the drama that people yeah. felt. Like, I think in general, like, Queen Victoria was a very influential lady. And I think just the fact that everyone kind of just followed her blindly, that says something about the generation mm-hmm. in general. <laughs> the generation in general. I don't knows? think Anyways. I don't think the average person was aware that the queen uh, was wearing black all the time. They probably didn't care. They probably heard know, it from they, somebody no, else no. that black and then oh no no no, but thomas the entire no no no, they knew obviously because not because they saw her but because the entire country stopped yeah like you have to realize that when uh, when king albert when prince albert died um like everything was shuttered all the stores were ordered to be closed um the the movie theaters were closed you said that's what i said edward I didn't say Edward. I said Albert. Did you say Albert? I said Albert. I swear I heard you say Edward. No, I said Albert. Continue. Anyways, so all all the stores were shuttered, like closed for a good two weeks, like closed, done. The every all the movies stopped showing. Everything stopped, like all the movies, (laughs) all the theater, all the play. I was like, movies weren't a thing. What am I talking about? Excuse me. All the theater. All the theaters closed, like everything that was joyful stopped. So everyone was like, what the hell is happening? And obviously then the news broke. There were newspapers as well. And Queen Victoria kind of just like, that was what happened. Like she just shuttered everything down. The whole country went into mourning and everyone wore black in solidarity with her. And eventually they just took up her. That's supposed to happen when Elizabeth dies. Do you know about that, right? Modern Elizabeth, where the whole country yeah, it's supposed to yeah, black. it's supposed to stop, and comedy shows, either stage or TV, are to go off the air for a whole month. There should be no comedy for a month, and the whole country is going to be in mourning for a month. Damn, yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. There you go. Hmm. So it probably was a month or even more with Prince Albert. Yeah. I hate when people call it Operation London Bridge because it's not. It's yeah, I can see your eyes rolling. You go if you type in Operation London Bridge, you get a whole bunch of things about it. But I guarantee, I guarantee you, is not called that. 
I love how it's a... <laughs> Operation London Bridge has been a code name that referred to the plan for what will happen in the days after the death of Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> oh my god. What the it hell? It used to be a Hyde Park corner. You know about that, right? Mm-mm. When the king died, the prime minister's order was Hyde Park Corner, where you call up the mm, news agencies. Code. It's code. You call up the news agencies to see Hyde Park Corner, and they all knew what it meant. Okay. And nobody's to know what it means until the prime minister gives the order. But yet everyone knows. So you know what's funny? Uh, Operation London Bridge is probably not called Operation London Bridge No, it's not. I know it's not. Like, we all know it, or maybe originally it was, and then it leaked. Yeah, because it's a shitty name. It is shitty. Operation Elizabeth Died would have been better. (laughs) (laughs) Probably would have been. But I mean, Hyde Park Corner is pretty shitty of a name, too. But it's very incognito. Yes, that's what I mean. London Bridge is not incognito. It's really not. It's like, London Bridge is falling down, falling down. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think it's called? What do you think they called her operation? Um, I don't know. It's hard to know. Because Hyde Park... What's Hyde it? Park Corner is so... You don't think of that. It's, you know... It's Hyde no. Park Corner. But also, Hyde Park is a very important line. The only thing that comes to my mind, which isn't that, is it's a Scottish street I knew of growing up you always hear about it called upper brook street and that's kind of operation upper brook street kind of sounds like a you know it does watch it be operation upper brook yeah. street boris johnson picks up the phone <laughs> operation operation upper brook street, upper brook street. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i still can't get over how british boris johnson oh god is. yeah Jesus, like, just doesn't get more British. <laughs> you know what's hmm. funny? So, have you ever seen Boris Johnson when he was young? Yes, he looks exactly. He's a good yeah, but he looks guy. exactly the same. He does, but he was like less disheveled. I and, love like, his voice. Relative. His voice is so unique. It's like his own yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. Supermarket. He's a very unique man. <laughs> Out here, outside of a supermarket. With the population comes together it, and buys groceries. <laughs> it's kind of like he's being posh, but also like working the thing. Class. He's an extremely smart man. That's what people don't really understand. Mm-hmm. He he's fluent in ancient Greece, Greek. He's fluent in ancient Greek. He could recite, I think, the first hundred pages of the Iliad by heart. Yeah. The hell? Yeah. Okay. There's an amazing, amazing debate between him and Mary Beard, who is a Roman historian. Basically, it's Greeks versus Roman, and they debate for two hours, and you feel like a, you feel smart listening to it. And it, it but it's <laughs> He's a smart it's a man. great debate, though. I recommend ten out of ten. I shall, I shall listen. What is it? Boris Johnson and Mary Beard. Mary Beard already. I shall. Listen. I shall send. It's one of those things you listen to while you're doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need a lot of those. Yeah. It's great, though. <laughs> you just get to listen to Boris Johnson speak in ancient Greek. Just his voice. Yes. 
Just his voice itself is like entertainment. There was, there was reporters that went to went to his house. He didn't want to ask mm-hmm. questions because they were standing outside, and he brought them tea. He said, "Would you like a cup of tea?" But Mister Johnson, we'd like <laughs> you to answer questions. I don't want to answer questions until you have a cup of tea. <laughs> Take it. What the hell? <laughs> this man is very special. Oh, uh, this 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 whole face. Ah, uh, what was this? What was this? Great supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. That was one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You sent me that. I think I watched it like four <laughs> times before I fully like grasped what he was saying. That's but just then his, once I did, I was his way like, of talking. what the f- That's his way of talking. It's it's a horrific insult that nobody in the world would think of about him. Great no, supine exactly. protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. And I'm really proud of myself for memorizing that. I'm very proud. You probably watched it like a oh, hundred yes. times. Look, I've read it a hundred times just to make sure I got it right. Like, I'm pretty sure you, everything you send me, you watch it at least 10 times before you yes, send it. Yes, because I don't want to send you BS. Exactly. So you're like, let's just proofread everything. Proof watch everything I send Olivia. The thing is, you probably go, wow, he sends me a lot of things. Oh my, I do not send you a lot of things compared oh, I know. to the amount. You spend so much time watching shit. Like, it boggles Not just watching, mind. it's listening as well. Is I mm-hmm. always have something on. There's I'm always learning something. When I, mm-hmm. when I go to sleep, I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to documentaries. When I drive my car, mm-hmm. I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to documentaries. It's sad. <laughs> it's my music. But it's what I do. But yet. It's yet. No, it's great. Honestly, that's why you know so much about so many things. For no reason. I feel like that's also why you have so many interjections. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. Which is why I'm like, I need to do so much research on, like, the topics you <laughs> Make choose sure Thomas so that I can, like, have things to talk Make about. Make sure Thomas doesn't know. Because, <laughs> like, you're the history person. Yeah. Like, in the end, I feel like if I started talking about, like, English literature, you, you would have, you like... You ruined me. You ruined nothing. my life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you Mythology. <laughs> if you I want mean, to destroy like, me. If you want to destroy me, mythology is one. I don't know any mythology. It just does not interest me. I don't know why. But it just... Pfft, I don't care about Zeus. Mythology is only, yeah. I feel like mythology is only interesting if you know the context behind mm-hmm. it. Like I don't, I personally don't like mythology just for the sake of mythology either. Yeah. Like I only like it if I know the historical background behind it. Like who wrote this shit? Like who was believing in this? Like who was reading mm-hmm. this? You know, who was talking about these myths? And like, how did that affect their yeah, lives? Mytho- that's mythology, that's literature. You'll get me on literature as well, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um. Africa. But it's boring when you have nothing to yeah, say. Yeah, I guess. So, like, it's better when there's, like, fun things to talk about. That's why, like, especially this one, this is something that I know a lot yeah. about and that you know mm-hmm. a lot about. Like, the industrialization is such an awesome period. But once again, like, I had no idea what the link was between Prince Albert's death mm-hmm. and the entire Victorian macabre. What's, what's interesting about this topic was we know so much about different aspects of the same topic mm-hmm. you you know about this exactly. part of it well i know about this part yeah mm-hmm. so which is great and like so many little details oh, i'm proud of yeah. us look at us being look at smart us. this episode look at, us go. <laughs> look at us go 10 out of 10 tune in next week and we'll go back to being stupid <laughs> oh my god no i like this format I... though i like this format like this this one of us talks and the other one talks you know i like that too yeah I agree. Yeah. Why don't we continue doing so. it this way? I think so. Like we do, 
an entire episode each because I feel like when we both talk about something like we're so preoccupied thinking about our own topic that we don't really like interact yeah. with the other person mm-hmm. plus you this know. time it's like ooh, let's just focus on this one thing yeah and it's awesome yeah yeah that's pretty much it I agree I like that yeah. so next week's your week sir yeah. next week is mine what are, you, what are you gonna talk about well with remembrance day coming up <gasps> yeah. yeah yeah i don't even think i'll have a topic i think it was yeah just mm-hmm. you ask questions we'll just have a discussion week you know as long as you could let me read flanders field no you can read flanders field while you want. the whole thing no, i've read the whole thing on stage in front of a lot of people i have sang the whole oh. thing in front on stage in front of a lot of people i didn't know you could sing it in Flanders fields, hey, spoilers. the poppies blow. Between spoilers. the crosses, Rohan Spoilers! <laughs> okay, we'll end it at that. <laughs> okay. Well, it was, this was a good week. This was a good was. week. I'm very proud of yeah. this. I like this format, too. It's a very good yeah. format. I approve. Okay, okay cool. bye, everybody. Okay, bye, everybody. Week. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.